Hello and welcome, not to the sitcom club, but to the all-new Jaffa Cakes for Proust. I say Proust, but it's Christmas, let's not fall out over a minor point like that. We'll sort that out in a forthcoming Twitter poll. Anyway, I'm Mooncat, you're Ocho, we're here, but this isn't the sitcom club and we're not talking about sitcoms. That's basically all you need to know about the show. Otherwise, our frame of reference hasn't really expanded. We're not going to be discussing Taylor Swift or what we thought of today's Strictly Come Dancing Christmas special or anything like that. We're still firmly planted in the middle of a Westwood edition TV Times from September 1974. This is just where we can now take our tangents as far away from sitcoms as they lead. Just a chance to talk about film and TV. We might even talk about stage shows. But I think people realise that there are a lot of topics we keep hitting that we then kind of have to shy away from because they're not close enough to sitcom as a topic. We threatened to get off topic with our Christmas sitcom club, but we didn't. We stayed on course talking about all those lovely Christmassy Ebenezer Scrooge adaptations. Rob and DCT brought, I would say, a couple of classics to the table, and then you absolutely stunk the place out with Fora Hart & Co. <laughs> but we won't worry about that. The point is, as a story which lends itself to frequent adaptation, is A Christmas Carol, and dear listener, you will have noticed that, unlike myself, who just sort of blunders my way through any conversation about anything remotely cultural. Ocho actually knows about this kind of stuff. Is A Christmas Carol the most, what's the word I'm looking for, adapted story of all time in terms of, say, the last, I don't know, 300 years? I don't know. Yes, there's a very good chance that it is. I mean, that not talking in terms of franchises. I mean, you can maybe argue Sherlock Holmes, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it turns out that of a single story, that's possibly the most adapted. Now, what is it about that that lends itself to popular reinterpretation year after year, generation after generation? It's full of knobbly bits. It's full of weird little distinct things that you can get your hands onto and take in certain directions. It's a ghost story. It's a Christmas story. It's incredibly sentimental. It is episodic, particularly attractive to television. It seems to come with the ad breaks written in. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, there's lots and lots of little points at which you can say, eat some pizza, drink a Budweiser. But yes, I see what you mean about that. Except, of course, if you're taking outrageous liberties with it and you haven't got any ghosts and you've just basically got Everybody stood there in a big line waiting for Patsy Rodens to turn up. Yes, well, we've licked our wounds on that particular version of events. It's got lots of quotable lines. It's, I guess you could call it a story of good versus evil. It's a struggle for one man's soul. It's got a happy ending. There's just lots of little things to emphasise, things to de-emphasise, things to mishandle and get wrong. Different eras will have different takes on it and will tell you something about the time it's made in, the people who made it, the country it's made in. Okay, so let's start with a straightforward one. What is your favourite? And I don't mean as in favourite one because it's just like a huge piss take. In terms of proper adaptations, faithful adaptations, what is your favourite big screen version of A Christmas Carol? 
I'm going to argue the 1984 George C. Scott version, which was released in cinemas in the UK. It's actually a television version in the US, but I'm going to let that one count. That's my favourite one. That's the one I can just sit down and experience without at any point going, not so sure about that bit. Now, you do realise there was outrage across the British Isles and beyond with regard to your answer because you didn't say Alistair Sim. And yet you've got this wild theory that Alistair Sim's version, which is, I think, by and large, considered the definitive Scrooge retelling on the big screen. That's not your favourite version. They spend too much time in the past. Somebody, they get hung up on the backstory and they bring in Jack Warner saying, hello, everybody, I'm a character not actually in the original story. But I'm needed, apparently, to explain every single last agonising step of Scrooge's fall from grace. Oh, you know, I tell you what's more exciting than salvation and Christmas and sick little boys becoming well again through the benevolence of a man who's had his life turned around by a nightmare. Boardroom drama, yeah. So it's unbalanced. It's not weird enough. Alistair Sim is fantastic, but I think... Everything around him needs to be that bit stranger to keep up. And in this film, it doesn't. It could do with being directed by Charles Lawton in that style he used in Night of the Hunter. I can't remember which is... I think Night of the Hunter is after. It was his first and only directing job. But that's actually kind of a Christmassy movie. There's Christmas at the end of it. There's something weird and oppressive and can't quite put your finger on it about Night of the Hunter. And they needed that sort of style in the Alistair Sim Scrooge. It needs to be claustrophobic in places and uncanny. Because, hey, you've got Alistair Sim giving it his all. It's a fairly dry movie except for him. And Michael Horden is quite ghostly and regretful, but... And there's a damned colorized version always cropping up. Oh, I know that that's that's the bugger with the Alistair Sim version. It's that every year it turns up on Channel Five, and every year without fail, it's that bloody horrible colorized edition which has been transferred onto videotape and looks like shit. Anyway, what about Albert Finney? Goofy. I'm an old man. Well, actually, no, this, it doesn't, that's not quite. How, I can't do his voice, but he's doing a very strange. Yeah, that's it. Should have been Dick Emery. <laughs> <laughs> now that would me on me nap. Okay, um, can we check right now our extensive files and find out if Dick Emery ever did a Christmas Carol with himself playing all the parts? Because if he didn't, he bloody well. Or Stanley done. Baxter. Yes. Or Dick yes. Emery and Stanley Baxter harnessing the force of those two together. Right. Here's an idea. Right. Dick Emery and Stanley Baxter visit Benny Hill to try and show him the error of his way, saying just. Stop being chased around bikinied women around parks. He used to make sketches where you played every part with lots of sophisticated editing. We are the ghosts of Dick Emery and Stanley Baxter. See, for a second, I thought that you'd stop talking about Christmas Carol. I thought you were just talking about... There's this one afternoon that Stanley Baxter and Dick Emery, they just paid a visit to Benny Hill, met up with him in Teddington and had a nice wee quiet drink and talk comedy and what have you. And uh, yeah, it was all lovely. I think there's a photograph of it somewhere. But no, you were actually it's, talking about... It's a about... very unlikely pitch, isn't it, to go to a television channel. Why, why don't you get three top comedians and have it a nice festive special dedicated to the other two giving a good kicking to the reputation of the third one. Now, I've just had an ill thought. But there is that sense of, Benny, this is who you used to be. But, okay, do you know what I'm thinking of now? What I'm thinking of now is that somebody is going to bloody well make this 
for BBC oh, the, Four. Oh, no, and we know that Mark Gatiss is going to be Mark Gatiss is going to be one of the rules, if not all of them. And basically, it's going to be exactly that. So you need three ghosts plus Jacob Marley and Benny Hill as Scrooge. And so, okay. who are the three ghosts? So we've got Dick, and we've also got to cast the people as well. So first of all, who's playing Benny Hill? Benny Hill. Benny Hill. Matt Lucas. Okay. So your ghosts. So you've got Dick Emery. Who's going to play Dick Emery? Who's that guy who played Wilfred Bramble in that film they can't show anymore? Phil Davis. <laughs> He's about the right height. And I think that's as much care as you need to show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Stanley Baxter. Well, of course, he could play himself. Yes, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay, and we need one more. We need one more ghost. I know I've mentioned this in person to some people. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on a sitcom club. But just every now and then, I think of Stanley Baxter, and in my mind's eye, I can see his parody of Mad Men. And it is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Peggy and Roger are the part he gets particularly well. Right, sorry. So uh, we need a third ghost of, what, Harry Enfield? Yes. Because he, he, he would be the future. Okay. Jacob Marley. Now, who is Jacob Marley going to be? Well, It'd have to surely... be a producer, wouldn't it, maybe? Uh... Well, okay, so J- Jacob Marley is Dennis Kirkland. Because it could also be Dave Freeman, of course, because they both, Benny Hill and Dave Freeman, wrote together. But as I understand it, I think they had a fairly amicable parting in the ways and Dave Freeman went on to become a very successful sitcom writer. We need a Tiny Tim figure, some young comedian who was misled by Benny's example. So I've had a, one of my moments then. It was just a nice flip remark. Oh, have you noticed how Dick Emery and Stanley Baxter flourished in the sort of mode that Benny Hill used to be famous for, but eventually abandoned in favour of a more broad thing. And it's just become you and me. Now, <laughs> plotting, spending millions of pounds, crucifying a man's reputation, like a couple of media studies, coke-headed undergraduates from Keele Polytechnic, or wherever it is they go these days. <laughs> I think the Christmassy thing to do would be to draw a line under that particular line of inquiry and thought. But we haven't even come up for a role for Ben Elton. He's got to be in it somehow. Uh, he's the one who's divvying up his goods. You know, he's old Joe the pawn. <gasps> oh, yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Cool. Stop thinking about it. It's got to be, it's going to have to be David Williams as a tiny time figure. Ask me a question about Charles Dickens. Right. So, you know, Charles Dickens, what is, what's his favorite version of A Christmas Carol? Well, I think that's a spectacularly ignorant question, but as you didn't ask it, I'll let it slide. I'm trying to think of what would be the most utterly bastardized version of A Christmas Carol that you could do. And I'm Well, thinking... I have seen A Valentine Carol. Well, no, I'm thinking that it's got to be something which is not only taking wild liberties with the plot, but also it should be in a format which is in itself crass. So I'm thinking that it's going to be an advertisement. It's going to be a television advertisement in which in some way they've managed to truncate the entire story into 30 seconds. Now, we can work out the technicalities of that, but also in terms of the product that's being sold, it should be something utterly unsuitable. Like, for example, about 10 years ago or so, the Harvester restaurant used the Eiley Brothers Harvest for the World. Okay. Now, that to me sounds like it was a bet within the advertising agency. So what could you have Scrooge advertising where you're sort of looking at it and at the end of the 30 seconds, you're just gobsmacked. I mean, you're sort of, in a way, 
you're sort of admiring them for managing to get the entire story told in the space of 30 seconds. That's an idea. So are we saying that, that Scrooge, he realises the error of his ways and his supposedly high interest account that he's had for years supporting a, a small local bank and he's been supporting the same local banker for, for decades and he realises what a bloody fool I've been because I could get an extra 0.1% if I switched before December 31st. So he takes his business away from the small local bank and it's quite a sizable amount of business which causes that bank to go under and then transfers his money to this huge multinational corporation. Does it end with his ex-bank Are you going manager? to get all four ghosts in 30 seconds? Yes. So they're going to have to appear quite rapidly. And Tiny Tim. Right. The three ghosts will each say something about the bank account that he's going to switch to. So one of them will mention the high interest, one of them will mention that they're open on Saturday mornings, and the other one will mention that he gets a free ATM card, because you know they'd be sort of like the end thing then, they'd be sort of new. So they've all got like an individual message to pass on, and Tiny Tim mentions that they've got free piggy banks for the kids' accounts, the kids' savings accounts. So he's happy. He's got his piggy bank. Jacob Marley's... He's well, just you like, save your first £50, you get the ghost of Christmas past. And then when you save £100, etc., etc. If you've got an extra special, super gilt-edge, platinum, super saver, fat cat, rich monster account, you get a piggy bank in the shape of Tiny Tim begging because that's what you people like, isn't it? <laughs> it's not the time to be talking about the financial services. And I don't doubt we've spoiled the Christmas of some poor low-level worker at a financial institution who's downloaded this podcast for a bit of Christmas cheer because, let's face it, working in the financial industry in this particular decade is like being a plague rat in the 17th century. I've made it worse. We don't blame you. There'll be a couple of hundred people ahead of you against the wall when the revolution comes. Right, right. Just just, just So there's stop. always a chance to, uh, you know, shop your mates and make sure that they, <laughs> they go ahead of you. Maybe you can leg it to Barbados. But is this the follow-up? But I don't even know what this is selling anymore. So what's your favourite version of A Christmas Carol? Second favourite version, because of course I know what your favourite version is. Well, yes, indeed. We've already discussed 3, 2, 1 on the sitcom club. But I can't confirm or deny which my favourite version is, because I've not been able to firmly establish which version it is. All I can tell you about it is that when I was at primary school, we had this mail-order book group. It was like the kind of thing you get in the workplace. You know, like somebody turns up like once a week and lays out some books and says, fill in on the form what you want, and then I'll bring it around next week, and then we'll swap over the titles and so on. It's that kind of thing. And I'd ordered a few books from this place over the preceding year. And then in their catalogue for that month along with all the books they had a video tape now I know that the young ones today will be listening to this and thinking well of course they would have had hundreds of videotapes and by the way what the hell is a videotape anyway but no they didn't it was a book group and they sold books and then one month they had a single VHS videotape and being the miserable little git that I was I thought yeah I'm going to get this I'm going to get this videotape. I'm going to be the one in the class who gets the videotape from the catalogue. And so I did. And I definitely remember getting some envious looks from classmates thinking, oh, there he is with his videotape. Although I might have just imagined that, to be honest. But we'd only had a video recorder for about a year or so at this point. So it was still a bit of a novelty. 
And I once had that dream, by the way, that we had a video recorder and I had a sell-through commercial Flintstones cassette. And honestly, I was over the moon. I was so happy. And then I woke up and realized that we didn't have a video. <laughs> oh. That's worse than thinking it's Saturday and then waking up and realizing it's Tuesday. Okay, so by, you know, whenever this Christmas was, we did have a VHS machine. So got this videotape, Christmas Carol. Now, my memory is that it's from New Zealand. It's an animated version. Nobody you've ever heard of is providing the voices for it, except possibly somebody who was in Neighbours at the time. I think, maybe, one of the older actors. As far as I remember, it was a fairly faithful retelling of the story. And I think there was a bit of leading back again to 3 to one I think there was a little bit of Albert Steptoe in the uh, portrayal. There's nothing horrifying about it, so you don't get you know anything particularly dark. I mean, it is a U-rated children's cartoon. But, you know, Scrooge, miserable old git. And... I'm saying, oh, I suppose you'd be wanting tomorrow off then. Hmm. Well, make sure you come in early on Boxing Day. I'll have a surprise for you. He doesn't say that. but And then, you know, it just goes through the, the usual. And there you go. And everything's fine. It's just the fact that I had that on videotape and it's like in a box by itself. And why I thought it was a good idea to buy that videotape when... I'd watch it a couple of times at Christmas, but let's face it, it wasn't exactly going to get a lot of play for the rest of the year. That said, I wish I had that videotape right now. I could put that on eBay. Probably is on eBay, actually. I think which was the left in the room. I, by I don't me. know which version you're talking about. I can think there's maybe two versions. I think they're Australian. Uh, there's one made in 1969 and one made in 1982. And if I'd known you were going to spring this on me, I would have been able to supply you with both of them. And you could have told us all which it was, and you could have relived a child's Christmas in... Wales. North. <laughs> that very, very northern part of Wales. You know, one of those Celtic ghettos that we have in Britain. Within the reception area right, of now, Was it moderately colourful or quite grimy looking? Oh, grimy, yes. How long did it run for? About an hour. About an hour. More than an hour or less than an hour? Probably just slightly more. I'd say that's 1982. That does sound about right. 1982 is a bit off, really. It's a very half-hearted version. It's just kind of there. It doesn't get anything egregiously wrong. It's not ridiculously misjudged. It just it dumbs down some of the dialogue. Individual words seem to be missing from lines, and then words get stuck into lines. There's a bit where Scrooge says to Marley's ghost, you may be a big blob of mustard. <laughs> Thanks. That's what I think Dickens' work was definitely missing the word big in that line. I'm sure he's kicking himself in the great beyond. Just to confirm, when you say that some lines are missing words, do you mean like the Norman Collier sense? Because <laughs> that sounds like you just had a problem with your copy of it. No, just that weird filleting of lines, or then just somebody says something that conveys the general gist of the original line, but it has none of the flow and poetry. And you know, his nephew Fred has Christmas dinner with his friends. There's a strange bit where I don't know if it's a perfectly reasonable request with an inappropriate response from Fred and his friends, or if it's the punchline to an absolutely filthy Victorian joke, the setup of which has been lost to the ages. But it's just like they go to Fred's house to see his party and a friend goes, is there any turkey left? And the rest of them go, <laughs> 
It's not even like a cynical chuckle where, oh, yeah, yeah, I think you find there's no turkey left, and I think you should know. It's the heartiest, I declare it to be the most whimsical joke of the year. Could it be a reference to Family Fortunes? Could it be that the people putting this together did not do so with quite as much care? <laughs> and actually, we've just established... What answer would there be on what Family Fortunes? We asked 100 people to name a famous line from the film Casablanca. Bzz, is there any turkey left? No, well, no, it's your man, isn't it? Oh, just, what's the, what's the first yes. thing you take with you on the, the beach? Turkey, turkey man. And then yes. by the time he gets to question four, he's like asking Max Bygraves, is, is, is there any more turkey? Or should I just stop providing answers? I am not as much of an aficionado of Dickens as yourself. I'm not an aficionado of Dickens. I just, I've watched a lot of versions of A Christmas Carol. I'm not sure there's any version that is so bad I wouldn't watch it at least once. Have we, for example, checked to find out whether the Crankies ever did a version of A Christmas Carol? What's this wee business? Have you? Have you checked? They're not my friends. But I don't know them. Okay, uh, don't bring of, up the post. Don't bring a, up the post of office again. Oh come on! We have to bring up the post office. No, we used we've, to. You used to send your letters from a post office that was run by Ian Cranky's brother. Not only Ian Cranky's brother, but Jeanette Cranky's brother-in-law. That's two links. <laughs> you have to no the Cranky's there. One link to each Cranky. You are part of that link. You from have no evidence. The sitcom club Jaffa Kicks of Proust to the Cranky's in the middle is you, and you're looking to me for Cranky's research? I will say this. In the original story, the ghost of Christmas past is described as, as looking like a boy, but also an old man. Now, sometimes when television makeup departments have been a little pressed for time, Jimmy Cranky's boyishness has been offset a little by Jeanette Cranky's maturity. So that's a possibility. Yes, yes it is. Yes. Okay. Jimmy Clitheroe, of course, would have been another good choice. Could they do it as in the sort of the Tommy Cooper split sort of variety, so that he turns to his left little boy, turns to his right old man, and if he does it quickly enough, he could sort of be both in the same frame. That's going to be really dizzy for the actor involved, and probably for the viewer as well. I can't see Dickens approving of that approach. So hang on a minute, is that the only version you've seen? You had your VHS tape and you thought, I am set for life. Well, okay, I've seen Alistair Sim. I've seen... No, that's it. It's the two of them. <laughs> you haven't even seen Albert Finney? Uh, no. That's why I was asking you advice. Is it, is it worth me watching? Albert Finney goes too far in his redemption. Albert Finney's Scrooge... I'm going to say he's bankrupt on Boxing Day because he doesn't just come out saying, I'm a new man, I'm going to pay my clerk a living wage, I'm going to give to charity. He's just basically, I'm going to buy everybody in London everything they want for Christmas, I paraphrase. But he just becomes a bumbling, goofy marshmallow of avuncular fluff. Of course, I want Scrooge reformed, but I need him reformed believably within his own personality. He becomes a good Scrooge. He doesn't become a completely different person. He doesn't become Santa or Father Christmas or Moderator Hogmanay, whatever you had up there. <laughs> I've just I've just done some research. I really overplay the uh, ugly Englishman bit sometimes. I am sorry. I've done some research. Has there ever been a Scottish version of A Christmas Carol? Because you know what I say about knobbly bits. Being English, Scottish culture is full of knobbly bits. It is very familiar. You speak the same language. You're not that far away. There's obviously 
a shared heritage, regardless of whatever happens to that border in future political upheavals. But there's just enough that's different, that's alien, that it gives the culture a fascination to somebody who's not from there. Actually, hang on a minute. There is a version, but it's a version about a welder from the shipyards. It's quite depressing. So it probably doesn't cover our purposes. I think Chick Murray's in it. I'm sure that there will be. The, the closest I can think of, and I mentioned this just the other week on the Sitcom Club, was that there was a City Lights episode based upon It's a Wonderful Life, which is not a million miles away from Christmas Carol in terms of structure. It's a Wonderful Life is quite strange because the guy who gets put through the psychological ringer in that is good. I mean, Scrooge, he's unpleasant. He's cruel. He's miserly. He's impolite. He doesn't even know how to enjoy himself. There's so many things you can pick on Scrooge and give him a damn good shaking and say you have to change. George Burley, he's a nice guy driven to suicide. All right, well, that's it. I'm sorry. All the good things you did for this town. No, we're not giving you a pep talk. We're going to put you through a living nightmare for not being quite good enough. When I was a kid, the first time I saw It's a Wonderful Life, I came in partway through and I thought it was terrifying. I'd never heard of it. I wasn't aware of its reputation. I did not know what I was watching, and I thought I was watching a psychological thriller, a horror story, because there was this man running around a sleazy town. He was getting punched. He was grabbing people by the shoulders and screaming at them that they didn't know him. And there's a shot in that where Jimmy Stewart looks into the camera and he is cracking. He has never looked more haunted, even in his Hitchcock films. He is on the edge. His pupils are like pinholes. And this is supposed to be a heartwarming Christmas film. Not sure. You said to me mere moments ago, and we have a recording of it, you said that there was no version of A Christmas Carol that you would not watch at least once. I have... It's not legally binding. Well, you say that. I've leapt over to the Chocobock computer. I have an article in front of me from the AV Club, and this is a list of 23 TV adaptations of A Christmas Carol. And they're all, of course, American. There's a few in here which, if you haven't seen them, then I presume you'll seek them out. You can have a look at them. You can let us know how they went. For example, something obvious like Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, 1962. Ghosts in the wrong order. Go on. Okay. I was very pleased to find out here that we've got an episode of The Odd Couple with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall, 1970. So we'll seek that out. Maybe we'll talk about that on Sitcom Club. Sanford and Son as well, Ebenezer Sanford, 1975. However, the one that's caught my eye here is something which I think went out on ITV year after year after year in the middle of the night in the early hours of Christmas Day. I never saw it, but I do remember it being in the TV Times, annually, pretty much. And that is Rich Little's Christmas Carol from 1978. And Rich Little is pretty much unknown in the UK, but he's basically sort of American Mike Yarwood, I suppose you would say. And the AV Club's description of this is, For years, Master Impressionist Rich Little did a bit in his stand-up act that imagined a Christmas Carol with different celebrities playing the major parts. In 1978, expanded the routine into an hour-long special which aired on HBO. Here, Scrooge is W.C. Fields. And the ghosts are Richard Nixon, Humphrey Bogart, Peter Falk, and Peter Sellers. 
Little doesn't look for any deeper connection between his choice of celebs and the original story. (laughs) But anyone who's ever wanted to see Johnny Carson play Scrooge's warm-hearted nephew will be well served by this version. I've never seen that version, and I have a feeling that that is going to get repaired quite soon. (laughs) I've got to see that this Christmas. Uh, Peter Sellers is in a version of A Christmas Carol. Carol for Another Christmas, written by Rod Serling, which is basically take out the concern for the poor I guess it is just barely Victorian 1843, yeah, a few years the Victorian concern for those less well off and replace it with Cold War nuclear paranoia it's that basically Peter Sellers is a figure who lives in the future I he might be called I Am or something like that and it's post-apocalyptic Earth is ruled by tribes and one of the tribes is ruled by Peter Sellers The question everyone is asking and shouting towards their iPods. Possibly you got an iPod for Christmas. Congratulations. And if this is the very first thing you're listening to on the iPod, thank you very much. Chances are against it. I think you probably listened to U2 or whatever it was that came preloaded on it, but that's not the point. The point is, everybody is shouting at their iPods right now, what about Ross Kemp? Meh. Because that's the version that's probably most likely to turn up on television these days on ITV. You heard my review. Well, I did hear your review, but... Apart from it being 50% of the length of shit sandwich, then I'd like you to expand upon it a tad. It's got a bit of that modern glibness. It's not too bad. I don't like versions where the ghosts are other people from the narrative. Yes, I know the revelation about the identity of Christmas yet to come is quite cute, but it's not quite as clever as the story seems to think it is. But you haven't wasted your time in watching it. Okay, I've just realised that I have seen another version of A Christmas Carol. And there's even a link to Citizen Smith as well. Hey! Okay, the version I've seen is, of course, Scrooged with Bill Murray. What's the link to Citizen Smith? The waiter in the restaurant is Tony Stephen. Oh, right. It's a shame it wasn't um, Tony Milan. Yes! <laughs> with his droopy moustache and his black hat. <laughs> but, okay, how how does that fare? Kids have yet since 1970s. I've got about 38 now, yes. <laughs> he needs to get himself doctored. Yeah, Scrooged. I like Scrooged. I think it's a bloody good film. And I will probably see it at some point over the next couple of days. It's easily my favourite Tim Burton film because it's directed by Richard Donner. Why am I so cruel at Christmas? People from Banks, Tim Burton, The Scotch. Okay, so Cruel... Benny Hill? Cruel... Oh, Benny Hill had the worst of it. I'm going to be visited by, oh, probably 17 ghosts, actually, I think. Right, all of your ghosts are going to come from the Benny Hill show. So you're going to have Jackie Wright, Bob Todd, Henry McGee, they'll all be there. Bella Emberg, she might make an appearance. She was in Callan, Bob Todd, Superman 3, Henry McGee. Swinger? Eh? We lots to talk about. I'm sorry. Henry McGee played a swinger in the Golden Simpson Playhouse. I cast no aspersions on Henry McGee's personal life. Unless he was, in which case I'm sure he was good at it. And if he wasn't, I'm sure that was a good decision for him too. So, Christmas Carol. As I said, Albert Finney, he's too far in the... I'm cheerful and... He empties a toy shop of toys. I don't mean he walks in and... Says, well, I had lentil casserole. No, he, 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 he buy. I think, I'm pretty sure he buys all the toys in a toy shop or quite close to it. 
in the middle is George C. Scott, who plays the reformed Scrooge as a man who's had a great burden lifted from him. On the other end of the scale is Henry Winkler in An American Christmas Carol. His character is not an Ebenezer Scrooge. His character is Benedict Slade. Benedict Slade threatens to beat an orphan after he's been reformed. It makes sense in context. <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't threaten a beating. He Maybe he just simply threatens to drag this orphan screaming from the room. So are you, are you basically saying that, that is this like the kid that he shouts to from the window and says, go and get that big bastard turkey? No, this is a new character introduced specifically for the purposes of that story. He even gives Tiny Tim the life-saving chance he needs and is a jerk about that. I say a jerk. Basically, he goes from being malicious to being mischievous. So it's a very strange thing where his actions are changed, the consequences of actions are changed, but his actual manner seems to remain pretty much the same as before. He's just incredibly crotchety and harsh about being kind. Is that not a more faithful... Okay, not necessarily a more faithful adaptation, but is that not more realistic? Because the It's idea... very effective. That's all I say. It's a good version. You've got a black exploitation take on the cost of Christmas yet to come. Okay, I don't like the facts that they use other characters from the narrative for the ghosts, but open shirt, medallion, angry black man of Christmas yet to come. Very novel. Okay, I've got a new one for you, which you probably haven't seen. Now, I know you don't have the technology for the old broadcast TV, which is principally by choice because there's just nothing you want to see on it. But if you were to try and get like Dancing with the Stars on ABC, it would be a bit of an arsehole for you. You have to jump for a few technological hoops. Am I right? Well, I'd have to go around to somebody's house and plead. I'm too proud. You have to go around to somebody's house. I mean, whatever it is, and maybe I could torrent it. Oh, sorry. You go around to the house and plead with them because you'd say, I really, really need to see that episode of Happy Days where Chuck Cunningham goes up the stairs and never comes back. It's on Antenna TV at 2.30 this afternoon. Can you imagine how awkward that would bloody be? I mean, sitting in like somebody's living room, even if you knew them really well, if those were the circumstances in which you'd gone round, and it's like other people would be coming in and out of the room whilst you're sitting there watching this, and they'd be talking about you. They'd be saying, well, see, because you can't be disturbed because you're watching Happy Days. People are going, shh, don't disturb him, he's watching Happy Days. Right? And people are asking, what was this all about? Uh, oh, it's some episode that he said he wanted to see and what have you. That'd be, oh, God, my palms are sweating just thinking about this. This is horrible. If you want to see the episode of Happy Days, then just buy the damn DVD. Don't bother other people, especially at this time of year. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, right, okay. So I've had uh, the old American TV on via means lately, having the NFL games on and what have you. Now, admittedly, I haven't had the sound on for this advertisement yet, but I think I can sort of follow the, the narrative. I get the gist. There's Scrooge at his desk. Tiny Tim turns up. Now, does Tiny Tim normally visit him in his office? No, he in the 1984 version, he's lurking around outside. Tiny Tim visits Scrooge and says, Oh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. And Tiny Tim is played by Jimmy Greaves. <laughs> and Scrooge opens up his present, and it's a tablet device. Unspecified, make. And Scrooge is not particularly impressed. Now, I have absolutely... Oh, hang on a... What? You, you saw that too. What? That commercial. Oh, boy. I'd forgotten about that. Wait, when, when did you see it? 
think it was on a YouTube video my wife was watching. Oh, you don't need broadcast TV for the commercials these days. Oh, bl- Grandpa. Wait, well, the, the upshot is that Tiny. I have no idea how Tiny Tim, with his one crutch and his admittedly, you know, rather untidy, unkempt appearance, has managed to scrape together the required conkers to get a bog standard tablet device. It's probably one of those ones you get at the supermarkets. But anyway, the twist is, oh no, Mr. Scrooge, but this isn't just, you know, a tablet or whatever, because now you can watch, it's a company called Verizon, it's like now a sort of American version. Of 1988 the... chat show. <laughs> I wish. Right, if Netflix ever get that, I'm signing up. But anyway, right, okay, so it's basically an advert for a pay TV company, and you can watch all of the crap that's on network TV, you can watch it on the tablet device, and Scrooge picks it up and he starts looking at it, oh, look at this, oh, bloody hell, you can watch The Voice and NBC and what have you and this is brilliant and that in some way is Scrooge changing his ways so there are no ghosts there's yes. no passing of time there is no sign of Bob Cratchit no sign of his nephew there really isn't anything and I'm not entirely sure I'm very happy to be corrected on this point I'm not entirely sure if there is even a moral element to this story I'm not sure there's any guarantee that child is Tiny Tim do we even know if that man is Scrooge? I did wonder about that. I did wonder about that. Because having not had the sound on, then I can't confirm. But he definitely, he looked like Scrooge. He looked like a Scrooge-type figure. Now, am I right in thinking that with the considerable amount of time, and you'll probably be able to tell me exactly how long, it's been since A Christmas Carol was first published, the character is out of copyright? 171 years? Yes, Scrooge is out of copyright. Okay, so... Nobody is going to turn up at any point in the future like Warner Chapel did with Happy Birthday and suddenly say, ah, yeah, we own Scrooge, you bastards. So you're going to start paying us every time, you know, you oh, make I'm some waiting duff for that commercial. To happen. It's, going to, it's going to happen eventually, isn't it? Oh, eventually somebody's going to find a way of dragging characters who were never properly in copyright into copyright somehow. Disney is happy to add King Arthur to its list of intellectual properties. I've just had a horrible idea. And you've made it happen. I've just imagined that if the Jimmy Greaves chat show had been in any way successful, they might have done a Christmas special, and they might have done their own version of A Christmas Carol with Greavesy as Scrooge. Right, Jacob Marley is going to be Saint, going to be Ian St. John, obviously, and I don't believe that Ian St. John is particularly proficient on the board, so to speak. But, okay, a little bit of scripted dialogue. For the ghosts, Vince Hill, he'll be one of them. Well, he can be passed, because he was a star of yesteryear. Well, that's writing him off a bit. But, you know, you need a star of yesteryear, somebody who's currently hot, and a young unknown who's ready to break out. That's how you structure your show. Bobby Davro. He's present. Okay. Because he's on TVS at the time and what have you. And who was just breaking through in 1988? Gary Wilmot. Gary Wilmot was huge in 1988. Oh, yes, he was. But, okay. Right. Um... We need somebody who was... Nobody in 1988, but was available for work. Can we get somebody who was on Sky Star Search? John Coleshaw, he was on Sky Star Search. There you go. There we go. Okay, and what lesson are we trying to teach, Greavesy? The lesson that it's good to chat. Fair enough. I just want to take a little step away as we wind down from A Christmas Carol to mention something that we did talk about doing a cast before, and I'm not sure there was an entire show in it. The thing that I came to describe as seasonal oddities. Because that was the thing, um, A Christmas Carol is a part of it. 
It wasn't really until I got married that I stopped waking up at a stupid hour on Christmas morning. Because one of the joys of Christmas morning is turning on the TV and seeing a cartoon made by a studio you've never heard of, featuring the voices of people who've never even heard of themselves, in a style of animation that is not quite familiar. I always liked that, being somebody who enjoys cartoons, old, old cartoons in general. You just see something that's completely unalike. They may turn up at other times of the year, but Christmas seemed to be a place where these things really collected. And not all of them were Christmassy. Quite a lot of them were Antipodean. I mean, my memory is, it's not a cartoon, but my memory is, there's a 1978 film called Barnaby and Me. It has Sid Caesar in it, and it has a wisecracking koala bear. My memory is that was shown on every Boxing Day from 1932 to now. That memory needs a lot of verification, but that kind of thing. Dot and the Kangaroo, which I think had a little internet fame in the US for its terrifying bun-yip sequence. That's not even a Christmassy cartoon. The Christmas Martian, a French-Canadian alien who dresses like a member of Zig Zig Sputnik and sounds like somebody doing an insulting impression of Alan Young, turns up in a town and sprays Smarties everywhere and claims his name is Pooh Flower. You just don't get stuff like that at other times of the year. Some of it would be... I mean, Christmas Martian, I remember turning up around about 10 o'clock. But that version of A Christmas Carol you had on tape, that was shown at five o'clock in the morning, I think, in 1990 or 1989. And I tried to watch it. Couldn't stay awake. I was too old for that lark even then. But, I, you know, it's just that kinky atmosphere. What I didn't know at the time, I suppose there was a little element of hauntology. Well, we will discuss in a future Jaffa Cakes my own recollection of those type of cartoons because it's not Christmas related. It's actually to do with the international footballing calendar, which sounds a bit odd, but I'll explain that in proper context in a future episode. There's one film I want to mention and I'm not sure if I should. I think you should. Any two blase mention of them would come out like we're trying to do some sort of forced, dark, ho-ho-ho, transgressive internet comedy jerk thing. We're basically talking about an Australian entertainer who is no, no longer going to be featuring as a centrepiece of the BBC Christmas lineup. And there's a film called The Little Convict, and he's in it. He's the narrator. He's live action, but there's animation in it. And it is about the transportation of criminals. It is people being pushed around Australia, treated harshly, and somebody dies. On camera, it has a really freaky, terrifying ending in which the little girl he's been telling this story to, she sees a merry-go-round. The merry-go-round is really there, but then she sees all the characters from the story, and they turn up, and it's like, they're ghosts! Here's the really horrible thing. They're live-action. We've been watching them in cartoon form, and suddenly we see their live-action forms. Christmas Day, 1983. Hey. Okay, right. This was at... 11.20am, so plenty of time to have opened your presents and to have digested a couple of selection boxes and watch people suffering, dying, being punished for crimes, and then turning up as ghosts on a merry-go-round. And that was followed at 12.35 by Ziggy's Gift. Ziggy is a newspaper character, and he's a depressed little man, and I can't imagine Ziggy's Gift is particularly uplifting. I, for one, am not going to go anywhere near it to find out. Christmas 1983. Well, at least Christmas 83 picked up later on in the evening because we had The Revenge of the Pink Panther, well, hey, film premiere, and that actually had Peter Sells in it and not Rich Little 
as Peter Sellers. Anyway, the point is, if you happen to have a Roku device, I would definitely recommend that you install a channel called Toon Times Christmas, which is absolutely chock full of your full-on seasonal oddities. Definitely. I took a quick look myself the other day, and they had The First Christmas, which was the nativity story, but with plenty of court intrigue and background about Augustus and Herod, and the prince were not in great shape, and that was kind of a bonus. Well haunted, as the kids definitely do not say. I, I saw an advert earlier on, I think CBS are rerunning Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from 1964, and it's an HD version of it. Whereas I think that things of this ilk, I think that they should be seen in slightly poor quality form. I think that that helps if the colour's ever so slightly washed out and, you know, you've got like the odd splice here or like a little bit of sound drop out or whatever it may be. I don't really think that these things should be seen in full-on sort of 69 HD Dolby 5.1. That's not how they're meant. And if I was sat there with my little black and white portable with the earpiece not headphones ladies and gentlemen earpiece mono watching give me the title of something hobo's last christmas i don't know if i was watching something like that at that four sounds depressing the... that sounds very very depressing <laughs> it sounds very grim the, the thing i always remember how about seeing... a hobo's christmas because that has the promise that it will give you a message about caring for those less fortunate but he is having a christmas because let's face it the last <laughs> Well, okay, so if I was watching that at four o'clock in the morning on STV, on my little black and white 12-inch Mitsubishi with the earphone, I mean, it's not Star Wars. It's not Ghostbusters. It's not meant to be seen like that. Ideally, it should actually be on NTSC. And I mean, like, I mean, NTSC these days doesn't look half bad. Or American television doesn't look particularly bad in comparison to British TV in terms of picture quality. But back in the day, NTSC, full-on NTSC, looked like absolute shit. And that's how it should look. And that's what you want. And also you want several fades as well, where there's like multiple advert breaks in the American network TV screening. Whereas at this time in the morning, of course, there aren't any adverts at all. So you just fade. And you might even get a quick flash of insert commercial here. And then it comes back. The thing I always remember seeing listed in Satellite TV Europe, very fine publication, I don't know if that's still around. Does this fall into odd kid territory? Getting Satellite TV Europe magazine because you wanted to read about what was on satellite at Christmas, even though you don't have satellite. You don't know anybody who's got satellite. Well, uh, so you ain't going to be seeing everybody. Is that a time? No, I mean, seriously, is that a weird thing to do? Did you hand over money to buy the magazine? Yes. And it would have been like two quid in 1990, which is, you know. So, okay, Satellite TV Europe, and it's got all the listings for BSB and Sky, and it's got Bob Hoskins in Who Framed Roger Rabbit on the front, big Sky movie premiere. And let me just point out again, in case you didn't hear me say it a minute ago, I haven't got Sky at this point. I'm not going to see any of these programs. But nonetheless, there I was able to sort of browse all these listings and look at all these weird foreign European channels and what have you that I wouldn't be getting. And the one thing I do remember being on Sky year after year was Mr. Kruger's Christmas. Now, is that James Stewart? I don't know. If only we were connected to some computerised network of information. Yes, it is. Jimmy Stewart, 1980. Oh, and the whole thing is on YouTube. There yeah, you go. Hey. And the music is performed by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Made for television. Short. An elderly whittle, whittler. <laughs> an, 
<laughs> an elderly widower <laughs> I prefer my version an elderly widower relies on his daydreams and faith to get through a lonely Christmas maybe if there's time I might watch that but I think I think I might just watch a Christmas Martian again what's that one Santa Claus and the Mars planet or whatever the hell it is Santa Claus conquers the Martians that's public domain as well so he's spoiled for choice there I said, okay right now you are talking about spotting things in the schedule that don't really belong and that it's difficult to find information about well at least you had the radio times at least you actually had a listing that said this weird cartoon from wherever is going to be going at 11:45 i saw the last 2 minutes of santa claus versus or conquers or eats the martians or whatever it is on carlton cinema <laughs> on Christmas Eve, 1998, with my newly purchased on-digital receiver that I'd had for approximately two hours by that point. And nobody had on-digital for the Christmas of 1998, because it had only just launched five weeks earlier. There were no listings for Carlton Cinema in any publication. It had no teletext service. It had no annexed EPG listings on the screen. So how's that for not only something which is vague and difficult to track down, but also the scheduling of it is not announced to the public in advance. Still, gives you a little Christmas mystery, doesn't it? That's my kind of Christmas mystery. I mean, most people, when they think of Christmas mystery, they'll probably think of, like, Poirot episode or something like that. I mean, Poirot and the mystery of the Carlton Cinema listings. That's not going to happen, is it? There's no call for that. Well, David Suchet's been through all of Christie's stories, maybe he's going to start looking for new ideas. Ah, Mr. Kruger's Christmas is narrated by your man, the station manager of WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, I've enjoyed this. I think we should do this again in January. What, talk about a Christmas carol? Absolutely, yes. I think we've left a lot unsaid, but we did We did always like to make, we, we are trying to make these podcasts commute friendly 50 to 70 minutes that's usually our aim maybe we should just have a christmas podcast all year round well that would just be daft but we don't just have to talk about christmas related things we've done dafter things but yes there is a whole world of things to explore despite the fact that i've just realized i've missed out certain christmas carol adaptations i could have mentioned like ebenezer the western version starring jack palance i have also realized that i have of course like everyone else seen a Muppet Christmas Carol. And I can't believe I failed to mention that. Yes, that is a very faithful version of the story, apart from the fact it's got the Muppets in. But that's really only a small thing. That is no bad thing, of course. I think the Muppets should be more things. So we have a list of things to discuss. We will be doing this again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Same bat time, same bat channel. We could do that one too as well. That's true. So in the meantime, not from the sitcom club, but from Java Cakes for Proust. Proust. You've been Ocho, I've been Mooncat. Thank you very much indeed for listening.